You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Hello and welcome into another edition of Three Ma. I am John Kurtz, joined as always by Derek Young from K-State Online and Cole Manbeck, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury. Uh, this will probably be a little bit more hinged version of the uh, post game that we did on Saturday after K-State beat Kansas 31-27 to and come from behind fashion to win their 15th straight. Still 2008, uh, the last time that Kansas beat K-State in football. And uh, I know for all of us around here, finding a way to win that game calls for little bit from our friends at Holiday Distilling. Whether that is Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon that Cole was drinking on Saturday, or if you just want to throw some 360 vodka into the mix, they've got the hookup for you either way. Uh, so make sure that you get out and support those who support us, great people at uh, Holiday Distillery. And they're, they're trying to hook you guys up even more, all right? If they're not nice enough to you already with what they offer in Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon and 360 vodka, Cole, Tell us about how the people, <clears throat> excuse me, can go see them at the Iowa State game coming up this weekend. Yeah, yeah. So for those of you who might have been able to make it over last year for the season finale at home against Kansas, Holiday Distillery hosted a, a fun tailgate on the west side of the football stadium, and uh, it was a one heck of a time. And uh, we'll be doing that again for the season finale this weekend against Iowa State. So west side of the football stadium, parking spot 778, 778. Uh, it's toward the north end more uh, of the football stadium in the west side of the lot. Come on by around, you know, close to around four o'clock. Everything will be set up by then and come enjoy a drink with us from Holiday Distillery, 360 Vodka. They'll have all the work set up. Uh, you might have seen me tweet a picture about it last year. I might tweet out a reminder of what that looked like last year. It's it's a good time. I'll be over there. Uh, we'll see if we can get D.Y. and John over there as well. And uh, I know some other fun folks will be there. So looking forward to seeing all of you. And even if it's your own tailgate, <laughs> it's a night game. So you got plenty of time. Yeah. Any time to throw back some 360 vodka and uh, Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon with the Cats playing in primetime. Again, okay. Um, I was telling someone at the gym this morning who was at the game as a Kansas fan. I was like, man, I, I did not have a single bit of fun until... Will Howard was running backwards to go slide down in the final minute of the game to kill the clock. I, I, it, that was torture. I hated that. I never felt good the entire way uh, until they found a way in the end. And I mean, it's it's great. It's a relief. It just it felt more like a relief to me than anything because I mean the 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 facts are this. Like, look, Kansas is legit, man. That coaching staff is really legit. Uh, the game plan that they put together with Cole Bowler playing quarterback was was excellent and they if they don't drop a pick six if they don't muff a punt they they probably pull it off and that has to be just excruciating uh for kansas fans but for for us on this side it was just oh like breathe a sigh of relief that somehow you came out of that game with a win that that is really the prevailing thought to me coming out of that one i agree on the the relief thought i'm stupid enough though that even when down 27-16, I thought Kansas State still had a chance. I wasn't completely down to the dumps yet or, you know, in, admitting defeat. Like I've seen a few people prematurely do on... Uh, oh, who, who did that? <laughs> who did that? 
<laughs> to be fair, it was more than you. It was like it was a large contingent of people. I wasn't there. I still had confidence, uh, stupidly or or not. And you know, like you said, it, it, if KU catches that pick six, then my confidence was all for not. And you know that you win by four. And and I know a lot of people have already pointed this out, but you got a two point conversion on offense, and you got a two point conversion on defense. Oh, yeah. 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 Shout out to Sean. Thanks for that two-point conversion on uh, defense. So, that how many? Not only that, that, but the muff muff punt. I mean, look, Sean Snyder's special teams unit lost the game for Kansas. I mean, a lot of things did, and a lot of things could have changed the game, but they gave up a a three-point swing there when it should have been 14-7. to That was quite a bit of momentum and just changed uh, some of the complexity of the game from that point. And then, obviously, yeah, the muff punt was huge. So, you know, all that talk, all that chatter, all that chatter this offseason. Boy, do I remember the radio segment that I did uh, with a certain KU counterpart arguing over Sean Snyder being hired as KU special teams coordinator. And what a what an F you that is to K-State and how this is going to dramatically change special teams, the stories in the star about the special teams. You, well, get down to the game. Look what happens, boys. Well, Look I was going to say that's the irony of it all is because there was a lot of chatter this offseason when that occurred really uh, – talking smack to K-State fans when Sean Snyder was hired and uh, how he was going to revitalize the, the KU special teams. And then, you know, they, they've been bad on special teams numerous times. Uh, I guess special teams assistance, his title, that's he had a weird title at K-State as well at times. And so, I mean, they've had like four extra points messed up or botched this year. Talk about Chris Tennant's problems on occasion in K-State special teams. The Oklahoma State game, they had two different extra point attempts boshed in that game and so you know now I've seen KU fans and, and I'm sure most of them are joking that Sean Snyder was hired as a mole now and uh, a plant in the program is uh, what happened in that game clearly that's not yeah. the case that's just uh, love you Sean thank you Yeah. Uh, no it, it's like uh, Nate Matlack made one heck of a play in an effort to block that extra point figuring out a way to jump over them without using his hands to lift off on the uh, the lineman in front of him. That was an incredible play and then returned by Keenan Garber to break a couple tackles and outrace everybody to the end zone for the two points. And, uh, you know, the muff punt, we, you know, very fortunate there because Jack Bloomer hit a, a bad punt. It would have only been like a 20-yarder and uh, they had to run up and, and Will fumbles the ball and, you know, K-State recovers it. If they don't recover that, I mean, KU's got the ball at almost the 40-yard line on K-State's side of the field, up three with a chance to go up by two scores, you know, with, what, 10, 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. So pretty significant plays when it came to special teams, and K-State did take advantage and capitalize. And look, sometimes you got to have a, bit, a little bit of luck on your side. I would also argue, like, yeah, there was the drop pick six. Certainly K-State caught a huge break there. KU got a touchdown on a drive where they gained 30 yards on a fumble that uh, looked like K-State was going to get on it, right? That, that play, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, let's, let's, yes, the the narrative that this was all, you know, fortuitous bounces on the K-State side, I mean, it's just so convenient and easy to forget things like Phillip Brooks being blatantly held on the second drive of the game when K-State's driving to go up 14 to nothing and really take the wind out of Kansas' sails early when K-State had a, a great chance, and I, the broadcast, I finally got a replay and they have it ISOed on Phillip Brooks and he is just getting obviously held. And it's like Petros or Alex Faust, like neither one of those guys said anything about it while it's on the screen. And I'm like, we're just going to ignore this? Like, did this, this happen? So, I mean, yeah, there's that. And then, yeah, I've never seen a, fu- a ball fumbled forward 
that far. You know, you get you get a, an explosive play out of Cole Ballard not protecting the football is what happened. So you get the hell out of here with that narrative. I'm sorry. Look, I, you know, like on the note of the turnovers, though, I mean, that's that's a huge part of this, guys. You know, K-State wins the turnover battle three to one. We talked about this and how important that was going to be in the games that KU created turnovers for defensive touchdowns. They were tied for the country, the nation's lead, and turnovers forced. And now K-State, over their last six games, K-State has only turned the ball over offensively four times. The defense has forced 16 turnovers. So they're plus 12 in turnover margin over the last six games. If you guys recall, we've talked about this before. They were in the hundreds nationally in turnover margin earlier in the year. So now... On the season, K-State is plus nine in turnover margin, which is tied for 11th in the country. Last season, K-State was number eight in the country in turnover margin at plus 12 and tied for 14th nationally for 24 takeaways. This defense wasn't creating turnovers early in the year. They now have 20 turnovers forced through 11 games. They had 24 last year. Both times, they're in the top 25 in turnovers forced nationally. So they're, they're actually 20th in takeaways per game now. So... Turnover is a huge part of this. K-State wins the turnover battle 3-1. to one. All three turnovers for Kansas occur in the second half with one of them happening in the red zone near the end of the game. So that that was a, a huge thing, and K-State took advantage. You want another similarity to last year. This team is now one win away from finishing the year 9-3 and three and 7-2 and two in the Big 12. Same record that won them the, the Big 12 last year. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, tiebreaker is not likely to work out in that scenario. Although we are, as we can talk about this later, but we we took a giant step toward the scenario that would have been great for K State had the Big Twelve not changed their rules. Um, so, yeah, except we would have been we would have been really frustrated with OU at that point if that rule hadn't changed when we were watching them, you know, screw around with BYU for periods. Good uh, lord. Yeah, BYU should have won. I mean, speaking of terrible turnovers and breaks, I mean, throwing that interception at the one-yard line, yeah, that was that was really awful. Um, I mean, I'll say this, like, for Ballard, in case they did get three turnovers, the 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 one in the end zone, like, he's just trying to make a play on fourth yeah. down. Like, you know, um, you got to give him that. Like, I, I think that's actually the right play by him just to, to throw the ball up there. But, I mean, look, I, the defense made adjustments in the the very nick of time. I mean, they. I'm not sure that they could have gone another series without figuring something out there. They they got pretty torched in the first half with KU rolling with Ballard and Lance Leipold saying after the game that Jason Bean was available. Which I mean, it Cole that syncs up kind of with what we were hearing before the game. But they opted to just go with Ballard because that's what they had practiced all week and what they felt good about, and understandably so. Like that. That was a pretty masterful job that they did of utilizing a lot of option, like the speed option stuff was giving K-State all kinds of problems. It was unbelievably frustrating. It seemed like they were doing a good job of attacking the weak spot in K-State's defense, which is being down to like your four-string middle linebacker here at this point. So again, all the talk about Kansas quarterback injuries, like, okay, but against Devin Neal, who I think is probably the best running back in the conference. Um, and then that Kansas rushing attack, like you're you're down to your four string linebacker. Like that's a pretty big deal. All right. Like both teams were dealing with injuries um on both sides of the ball. But they they did a tremendous job with that. And Joe Klanerman found some way. And DY, I guess I'll kick it to you here to what you saw from the defense and, and adjustments that were made there. But after they were really back on their heels and the the second half opens up with uh, another one of those plays where Kansas just schemes somebody wide-ass open and Mason Fairchild's running like 70 yards down the sideline. They found a way to adjust, and from that point on, they were really pretty dominant, and the KU offense didn't do much at all. 
Yeah, that was really the only play that KU had go well at offense in the second half. So an adjustment was clearly made. Um, they went into halftime and, and kind of figured it out. It felt like what that adjustment was, you know, I'd have to go back and look at it a little bit more closely. The only thing, you know, obvious to our naked eyes, I would say that they did differently was maybe, and, and this is not not trying to run the kid down a little bit, but they played Austin Romain a lot less and they played Bo Palmer a lot more. So I think that was one of the adjustments and that's more so because for, for a true freshman linebacker, Playing this KU offense is absolute hell. It's probably even more hell when they throw out the version that they did in Lawrence this past Saturday when they have a true freshman or a freshman walk-on quarterback. And not only are they running Wildcat stuff, you don't even know where the quarterback's going to line up, right? It, I think that was probably pretty confusing for Austin Remain. And I'm, I'll go back to it also. In addition to dropping a pick six, muffing that punt, I thought another, another poor choice, and I say this almost every week, was KU not going to Devin Neal enough. Like, I I don't remember too many touches he had that went for less than five yards. He had 18 carries for 138 yards, 7.7 yards per carry. Why only got 18 carries? That's my reaction to why I'd be giving him the ball 25-plus times. I mean, every week it feels like. Yeah, I mean, maybe they just they, they feel like he's better at a certain number uh, to keep fresh and have that explosiveness. I, I don't know. But, yeah, KU had nine runs of 10 yards or more in the game. Uh, they had 11 plays that were technically explosive. If you say rushes of 10 yards or more explosives, they had two passes of 30 yards or more and then, you know, nine runs of 10 yards or more in the game. So, Really, look, what you said about Austin Romaine, that was our concern going into the game. It's not a knock necessarily on Austin Romaine. It's that you're a true freshman linebacker going up against one of the most difficult schemes in college football. To, I mean, I think KU, they've shown this graphic numerous times this season, KU motions more pre-snap than any team in college football. So they get you off balance, they get you outnumbered on edges, and then they scheme guys open. And they were clearly outnumbering K-State on the perimeter on the speed option. And K-State frequently didn't have a guy there to take the pitch man, and it was very frustrating to watch, but it's a, it's a difficult scheme. Credit to Andy Kuldenicki and Lance Leipold and what they do because they were coaching the heck out of that football game for a large portion of it. They really schemed things up against Kansas State, and Kansas State finally got an answer. If you look at it, the first five drives of the game, KU has 27 points on five drives. That's 5.4 points per drive. Over their last four drives of the game, they don't score. And, you know, they... You take away the three and out, guys, that KU had on the first series of the game. On the next four drives, KU scores four touchdowns. They have 298 yards of offense on those four drives on 35 plays, an average of eight and, eight and a half yards per play. But then, yeah, yeah, eight and a half yards per play. And then the K-State ran 23 plays in the first half. That was it. Yeah, and, and that was one of the biggest differences. And then the second half, so KU ran 35 to 23 on plays in the first half, doubled up time of possession. In the second half, K-State ran 37 plays to KU's 22, and K-State owns the time of possession in the fourth quarter, holding the ball for more than 10-plus minutes when it really counts to less than five for KU. What I was going to say, though, that also those last four drives for KU at the game, they gained 79 yards of offense on 19 plays, an average of 4.1 yards per play. They don't score. Uh, so you go from eight and a half yards per play on a four drive series to the next four drives at 4.1 yards per play. You more than cut that number 
in half, the kid, the defense clearly started making some plays. And to your point on Bo Palmer, shout out to him. He made some big plays. He had a pass deflection. He had a sack, a key sack, where he he tackled Ballard when they were inside the 20 at K-State's at the end of the game with around six, six and a half minutes left, put him in second and 17. And that really helped stall that drive. Bo Palmer made some plays when he came in. I guess one, uh, maybe not an adjustment, maybe a strategy, so to speak, but one thing that did start work working for the defense in the second half, which I think contributed to a little bit more success on that side of the, excuse me, that side of the ball was getting KU in the third and longs. They didn't do that in the first half. When you get a, a freshman, inexperienced walk-on quarterback in the third and long, things can go wrong. That's where you saw some of your turnovers. And, and I know part of it wasn't even Ballard's fault when they got in the third and long. I think one was a really bad penalty. Well, was some of this too, is it just a matter of Kansas running out of tricks in the bag, you know, when they were having to use kind of a different sort of offense here in the first half? That, that crossed my mind. Yeah, you do have a chance to regroup and obviously try to make some adjustments at halftime. And maybe that was just like the one, the Fairchild play was like the one last big heavy hitter that they had left in the bag. And uh, and then after that, there was just an element of like, all right, well, this, this is what we have for today. We're not going to be able to do much else. That crossed my mind even in the first half. You know, all these tricks and gadgets that they were doing even more than usual because of how different they had to play with Cole Ballard, a quarterback, I was like, typically, you don't have like 60 of these things. And you some of those things you can't do more than once, too, because they can't, the defense will adjust. And obviously, they did. Okay, you ran out. Yeah. Well, in the end, I mean, it was it was just enough. And that was I was just losing my mind. It, it, I've, I've not been more frustrated, I think, in, in a very long time watching the defense in the first half, knowing what you were up against. But I, I think I don't know. I mean, this is more of a KU point, I suppose. Globally, it just, to me, underscores like that that coaching staff is just nails, and I think Kotelnicki is so good, and it's what I've been saying about Jalen Daniels the whole time. I just think he's massively overrated because they scheme things. Like, he's just, yes, I think he's the best version of the three quarterbacks that they have, but I don't think it's by a ton. And what they've been able to do with Ballard shows that they can just scheme who whatever for whoever they're just it's and that's better news for Kansas by the way as long as Kotelnicki sticks around I think they're it's just kind of a system quarterback thing at Kansas like they can they can plug a guy in and they know how to utilize his attributes to the best of their abilities I think because of that system you they can have success with a lot of different quarterbacks for sure what I would say is the Jalen Daniels aspect he probably in in this isn't like de- refuting anything you said, but he raises that ceiling a lot more because it's basically that system, but now with someone with a hell of a lot more arm talent. Yeah, well, yes, fair, and I mean that's yeah, Ballard uh, does not have that, but he's I mean he's he's pretty poised. Like I, you know, you have to be pretty impressed. Poised, it kind of comes off as game manager to me. Jason Bean's arm is probably not not exceptional. Um, and they all can get it done, but Jalen Daniels' arm, I think, pales in comparison to the others. No, Bean, Bean is just so much more erratic. You know, you don't necessarily know what what you're going to get. Yeah, I mean, you high highs, low lows, but, I mean, either way, it, it is what it is. Kansas loses the game. Uh, K-State offensively, I mean, came out like gangbusters. That first drive was great, and it was interesting, the strategy. I know the the – announcing crew was commenting on this a lot the strategy from Colin Klein seemed to be to go to the air a lot when most people I think would have thought like hey we just watched Texas Tech come out and just ground and pound the entire way 
we didn't really see much quarterback run in, until a couple situations where K-State absolutely had to have it late in the game. I thought that you were going to see more of that too. So uh, we'll break down the offense in, in just a moment. But let's remind you about our friends at uh, Home Field Apparel. Uh, we've got to tell you about the Black Friday sale. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, at JL Kurtz, you've already seen a little bit about that. But Black Friday sale starts on November 17th and ends November 26th. So we are in the midst of it right now. You've got another six days, people, almost a week to hit up this Black Friday sale. 20% off the entire site with code Black Friday. It's even better than your 3Mod23 code, everybody. Black Friday will get you 20% off. Biggest discount they offer all year. Don't miss out. Items subject to sell out, so they recommend ordering as early as possible so the warehouse and shipping carriers have plenty of time to get shirts out for the holiday season. Um, it's a perfect gift for any sports fan in your life. If you want more good-looking Cats gear, uh, if you want to look like the handsome Derek Young or Cole Manbeck in your home field gear, make sure that you go out and get it right now at homefieldapparel.com, and you can even get... Every single alma mater or stop that Chris Kleiman has ever been at too, to match D1 uh, clothing collection, if you would like to, at homefieldapparel.com. I don't know if they have, Lor- was it Loris College that he was at? Loris uh, uh, way back? I think so. I don't think they have that. Well, we, we, could, we, we could request that. We could request that, D.Y. So I, I think you're rocking a home field hoodie, aren't you? Is that what I see there? I, I, yeah, it might be, but I wasn't totally sure. So I was like, <laughs> I want to keep pacing. <laughs> I, 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 I am rocking a home field hoodie as well, but I'm rocking it under the uh, the 1998 Michael Bishop jersey. So, uh, you know, it's uh, super comfortable, though. It's, uh, again, the home field hoodies I own are the, the most comfortable hoodies that I have. They are very comfortable. My Ole Miss one is actually my most favorite one. <laughs> I do love the fact that Cole at 7.55 a.m. on a Monday morning is wearing a football jersey from 1998. But hey, that's... <laughs> well, that's that's good. That's an accomplishment. Yeah. Well, you know, back then, back then when we were kids, John, the jerseys went down to like your knees. So you know, like back in 1998, this jersey went down, you know, probably past my knees when I was like 12 years old. So yeah, you know, just thought I'd throw it on. I wore this Saturday night, so try to keep the vibes going. Okay, I, I respect it. I look, I have respect. I respect for your lifestyle choices. <laughs> Uh, anyway, okay, uh, go see our friends at homefieldapparel.com. Hit up that Black Friday sale, and we are back in just a moment. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So as I mentioned, like the offense started off great, hit a bit of a lull. 
they were really fine. Just didn't get the ball much in the in the first half. That was really the problem. Everything was happening on the the other side of the football with the Kansas offense against the K State defense. Uh, Will Howard shook off the the play that should have been a pick six. Uh, Treshawn Ward had maybe the biggest play of the game right after that to pop it for a fifty plus yard run and really get the offense rolling. And uh, they just they just were pretty solid. Like I don't. I don't. I was like thinking, like, who's the star offensively? You know, I mean, Will had a pretty good game. Uh, definitely a gritty game. DJ Giddens was pretty good, but it just was like a fairly workmanlike effort, I thought, from the offense and in, in producing enough for K State to get the win. I think I would just call it they did resilient, right? Because they only get the ball twenty three times in the first half, just kind of kept hanging in there and and fought through it, and then was very efficient with the second half. Uh, controlled the ball, did what they needed to do to get that win, and came through in the clutch. Uh, Will Howard had a solid game. Now, he did miss, I think, one time DJ Giddens for a wide-open score where he just overthrew him really badly. He could have thrown a probable game-deflating pick six. So there were there were some cringe moments for Will Howard. But, you know, the resiliency comment that I made right off the top here probably is most accurate portrayal of him because he had all those things kind of go wrong right there in that short stretch at the end of the day he's still finding two touchdown drives for Kansas State and and does enough in the clutch to win the game so he it, it that's kind of been the moniker for his career but he's resilient he's strong he's tough as hell if I was gonna take an MVP I, I, I you could go a couple different directions I actually might go with DJ Giddens or I might go with Jace Brown I mean Jace Brown actually had a couple huge plays you know he had a Drop third and Hey, hey, I mean, that was a tough catch. I mean, he that, hadn't no, really snagged that. Run. That's a catch. Oh, and I don't know about that. Like, he's got to catch that with his fingertips. Like, it's out there. Um, it's got to be. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, he had a third and seven uh, conversion that was key when k was down 27 to 24, and he converts that into around, you know, a 30-yard gain. So, you know, that was a huge play. Uh, that he converted on. And then obviously the very first play of the game with the explosive where K-State comes out and goes deep. You know, Jace Brown had a really nice game, 96 yards, four catches, 24 yards a catch, averaging 18.6 yards per reception now this year on 17 catches. Third time over the last five games, he's had at least four receptions for more 70 or more yards. So he's becoming that explosive guy. And it's really remarkable as a true freshman that he's doing what he's doing. John, do you recall many true freshmen or freshmen in general that have done what Jace Brown's done in the history of Kansas State since we've been watching in the 90s? I mean, Tyler Lockett as a freshman had 18 grabs for 246 yards. And then I, I went back and looked. Aaron Lockett, I, w- I did not know he had in 1998 as a freshman 928 yards receiving. That's literally what I was about to say. I was like, it was the two Lockett bros. And, and Tyler, I was like, I feel like he was used almost more on special teams as a freshman. He yeah. had at least one. Well, in Lawrence, he had a kickoff return for a touchdown as a freshman yeah. in 2011. And then Aaron, no, Aaron had some huge plays. Like that 98 season, Cole. I mean, that Oklahoma State game, he had like a, you know, 90. He had like three, like 80 plus yard touchdowns where guys would just collapse on him, miss going for the ball. And then he was just gone because he was fast yeah. as hell. So, if, yeah. If you want to talk was, about a true freshman receiver that did, some on offense, not really a lot, but but a bunch on special teams. Joshua Youngblood. Yeah. 
that career did not, uh, yeah, that, that career did not work I mean, out. That, that was similar to what you just said about Tyler Lockett is freshman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and then Kevin Lockett, he had, uh, he had 770 yards as a freshman on 50 receptions. I think those were redshirt freshman years. I, I can't remember, but, uh, Lockett might've been redshirt freshman too, right? Yeah. No, I think so. I think, well, yeah. So, I mean, it makes it even more remarkable. He's doing what he's doing as a true freshman. So, you know, he was terrific, obviously. He's given him that verticality in the passing game, that explosiveness. And the thing I'd say about DJ Giddens, guys, he's now – he has 102 yards on 21 carries. He averages almost five yards per carry in the game. And now on the season, he's got 961 yards on the ground, just needs 39 more yards to get to 1,000. He needs 68 yards on the ground to have the third most rushing yards by a sophomore running back at K-State behind only Darren Sproles and Deuce Vaughn. His 5.9 yards per rush this season ranked fifth best in a season in K-State history, currently behind only Darren Sproles, who had two seasons of more than six yards per rush. James Johnson in 2007 had almost 6.4 yards per carry, and Deuce Vaughn in 2021, almost six yards per rush. So DJ, you know, almost 1,500 yards rushing now in two seasons at Kansas State, and he's averaging 5.8 yards per carry. He's 32nd nationally in yards per rush this season. He's just been a workhorse for this K-State team. And the offensive line, of course, shout out to them as they manned up. And K-State's rushing yards don't look as good as they would have on paper because K-State took 25 yards purposely and intentional team losses at the end as they ran off the final two minutes to make sure there was no time left for Kansas. If you take those three plays away, K-State actually runs the ball 34 times for 191 yards, which is 5.6 yards per carry, which you'll take any day of the week. I tell you what the way that they did that with Will Howard losing all those yards in the last two plays. If you had the Will Howard rushing prop to go over, I feel bad for you. Did they count against it or did they count? Cause on the like ESPN box score, they counted it as team loss instead of giving it to Will. I was wondering what the official well, K-State did. I guess you're right. It has that on my stat feed as well. Interesting. That, that's really interesting that they would do it. That it makes sense, but it does, but they don't do that for sack yardage. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I hadn't thought about that not being much of a gambler myself that would have been pretty brutal I, I still you know I, I had a question too someone asked me like after the game I think it was on my YouTube show last night like hey why why didn't they use Avery Johnson at all why why was there no quarterback run game and I was just like I mean I, the offense was fairly pretty effective I, how many drives did they have Cole what was the points per drive uh, for 31 points on what however many drives they had 31 points on 10 drives so 3.1 points per drive you take that and, and did that? Are you counting the the one at the end of the first half and one at the end of the second half? No, I didn't count the. I did count. So I didn't count the one at the end of the first half. I guess I did technically count the one at the end of the the second mm-hmm. half since it was eleven plays. But we could take it out because they were they were really they would have clad they would have taken a score if they could have. But uh, they were clearly just trying to run the clock. So. Yeah, I don't count that one because they weren't they were necessarily trying to score. They were more so trying to run the clock. Yeah, well, if you want to do that, then you could go 31 on on nine, which improves the number even more. And you have to remember that, you know, the KU defense isn't great by any means, but they were giving up 2.48 points per drive on the season. They'd make considerable strides in that category. They were much more efficient defensively. And so if you take that 2.48 in K-State, you know, is at 3.233 points per drive, you'll take that. Just not enough possessions. The 61 plays were the fewest that K-State's ran in a game this year. They've uh, offensively, they had in 10 of their 11 games uh, or nine of their 10 games going into that, they'd ran over 70 plays in each. So 
just uh, it was a low volume possession game because KU was lining up running the football frequently and K-State ran it a lot too. Yeah, they, they were snapping a ball even in the first half regularly with two, three seconds on the play clock. KU. So this it was purposeful. They got every, they got this exactly the way they wanted it. Well, yeah, they basically tried to Bill Snyder this thing against K-State and it almost worked. I mean, it came close, but that's to me, that's where it leads me into a point here that's kind of like the the narrative coming out of this game, right, is very interesting because I think you could look at it one of two ways, and it's very obvious to see where the split would be on this. But you could say, yeah, I mean, Kansas had an impeccable game plan that they clearly had poured a lot into. Uh, I don't know, maybe had been doing a little look-ahead work based on how they played at, against Texas Tech the week before. And with this incredible game plan, the last game of the booth before it's changing up, the best home crowd that they've had in years, uh, night game, everybody fired up. Like this is the this is the time we're going to get it done. And K State's down to their fourth string middle linebacker with that running game, and you throw the kitchen sink out there and all of that. And K State plays probably what C plus B minus game, and is down by eleven in the third quarter and walks out of there with a win. Uh, or you can look at it on the other side and say, well, Kansas, down to a third-string quarterback, was able to game plan uh, themselves into an 11-point lead and has clearly really closed the gap. And, you know, it's just a rocket ship headed for the moon. And uh, K-State will never win in the series again. You kind of have two narratives coming out of that game, I think, on both sides. So I will I will cede the floor to you guys as to uh, which one is is closer to the truth. Minus the rocket ship to the moon part of it, I do think it's probably more so the latter. And look, that crowd was also pretty phenomenal. I got to give them credit. Great atmosphere. Obviously, still a chunk of K-State there, but not nearly as much as you typically have. The place is full. So that was the, the most amount of volatility that Kansas State players have seen in Lawrence in some time for a football game. And I think that played into the part where they really enjoyed it you know, in that last minute and then after the game on the field, staying around and enjoying it with the band and, and all that stuff. I think that played into it. You know, one one detail that though it's kind of sticking with me and it's nothing that I can necessarily prove, but I wonder if they have kind of a normal approach. Like Cole Bowers not your quarterback and you don't have to you run so many gimmicks. Um, if Kansas State does actually fare better in that type of game though, because that's probably what they, you know, prepared for for you know however long so I think those gimmicks in that style of offensive play was actually conducive to KU hanging around yeah I, I had wondered about that I'd given it some thought too I mean obviously Jason Bean is an upgraded quarterback over Cole Ballard there's no denying that uh, look Cole Ballard credit to him I mean he yeah he played well they averaged 10.1 yards per pass guys that's the second most that k-state's given up this season behind only the ucf game when they gave up 10.6 yards per pass so um and a lot of that's due to a couple of explosives obviously but that's what ku does so um yeah i I, i've watched a lot of ku games like i I know they've ran Wildcat, right? I've seen him run Wildcat with Neil and Highshaw and do that, but I hadn't seen him do it to the level that they did, obviously, in this game. And and with Lachlan back there, right, at uh, Rick running the... I, I had not seen him back there nearly that much. And so, and look, they took, again, they took advantage of K-State's linebacker situation, recognizing how beat up K-State was. And then K-State also loses Uso Sayamalu. And uh, what, the late third quarter of the game, and he's in a boot after the game, so you lose your starting nose tackle. 
as well. And Damian Ilalio steps in, um, you know, and gives you a lot of snaps down the stretch. So, yeah, it, it, KU rushes for 234 yards in the game. It, uh, I have the number here. I think it's it's actually one of their best rushing performances on the year. It's the uh, second most allowed by K-State this season, and the, the 5.7 yards per carry, the third highest allowed by K-State on the year. 5.7 yards per rush by KU were the most for the Jayhawks since they played UCF on October 7th as well. So, uh, And the 6.9 yards per play that KU averaged, that was uh, tied for a season worst allowed by the K-State defense and was the third most yards per play that KU had recorded in eight Big 12 play or eight Big 12 games. So uh, K-State's defense struggled a little bit, but at the end of the day, you know, they, they made enough plays down the stretch and the offense. I thought some of the biggest things, guys, were obviously we talked about in the red zone, right? KU was dead last in the country, giving up points on 40 of 41 red zone trips this season defensively. And in this game, we talked about K-State had converted 40 of their 50 red zone attempts into touchdowns, an incredibly high number in college football. Well, K-State has four red zone trips against KU, and they convert all four into touchdowns. So that is a a huge factor as well. And then third downs, we've talked about how great K-State is on third downs. They're top 10 in the country in third down success. And they go one of five to start the game on third down. And the second half of that game, they go seven of 10 on third down and a lot of them were third and long and one of the biggest obviously the third and seven pass the guts to to throw the football and not just run it to convert a third and seven and end the game with philip brooks catching it on the sideline well that's what i was talking about the game was just no fun down to the very end i mean that review was awful like i sitting sitting through that review yeah. trying to figure out what was going to happen was awful because that was that was awfully close man and i think the the whatever the call on the field was was probably going to yeah. hold up yeah, so, I think call stands is the right thing there, but if they wanted to overturn that, there's not a whole lot of complaining you can do in that situation. But you're right. It did take some it took some balls, man. It took some balls to to dial that up and execute it the way they did, which I I mean, I expected that they were gonna throw it. I think you had to. Like you can't at that point, especially the way the defense have been playing, like you can't just say, like, well, you know, the defense will will go get it. I, it, I think it's yeah. totally the right strategy. Yeah, it was the. Remember, you watched the OU game with me in the basement at KU, right, John? It was the opposite of what OU did. Remember, they they ran the ball. There was that much time left, and they made KU burn their last time out. But we all know with that KU offense, two minutes timeout or not, that's enough time. And look what they did against OU. They went right down and scored. So yeah, you you need to go get. And DY, you said it in the group text at the moment. You don't look to run the clock. You call the play to win the game right there. And they they were able to convert credit to the veteran quarterback and Will Howard and Philip Brooks on making the catch. Because running it when it doesn't, you know, go assuming yeah. it doesn't go for a first down because you take away a timeout for them. And anymore with these offenses, two minutes plus, they don't need a timeout anyway. Right. Exactly. So yeah. plus the way K State's punting game had gone. I mean, I don't know if they're gonna pin them inside like the, the only the only uh thought process there could have been, you know, Ballard it started to choke. Yeah, well, and it would have been more conventional offense. They would have known the pass was coming. Like, I mean, yeah, there's an argument to be made. Like, I, I understand, but go win the game. Go win the game. Like, you're you're there to go win the game. They, shoot, they they went for it on fourth and goal against Texas, right? Because they're there to win the game on the road. I mean, that's it's the same sort of deal there. And uh, yeah. and they did, yeah. they did bet on themselves, and it worked out. And uh, if you want to bet on yourself, I know a great place to do it. It's our friends at DraftKings. 
Uh, so much to be thankful for this holiday season, guys. Family, friends, food, NFL football all week long. Uh, the Kansas Special Teams Unit gifting K-State a win. DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping your Thanksgiving week full of action. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on the NFL action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. Uh, no matter your appetite, there's something for you. Money lines, parlays, props, live bets, and so much more. You name it, they've got it. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code KCSN. New customers can bet 5 on the NFL Thanksgiving action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code KCSN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Please play responsibly in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. Huh. Um, Ontario's still off the hook. I like it. Ontario's all right. We freed Ontario. Big 12 championship game scenarios. Did you guys see the email that uh, the Big 12 put out? Because... Yeah, now, and by the way, what are those might need a clarification? They're apparently now concerned about clarifying their uh, their tiebreaker procedures, although it didn't really do a whole... I, there's still a huge part of this, and I saw the Texas reaction to it. I understand. The, the, the back half of this, if Texas loses on Friday and two or three two-loss teams win among K-State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Friday or Saturday... There will be three or four teams tied. Multiple scenarios exist in this circumstance contingent on which teams remain in the tiebreaker pool. That's it. That's all it says. doesn't break it down at all. Just leave that wide open. And I know Texas fans were like, well, how can we trust this based on what we've already seen with the tiebreaker rules? And we think, you know, that there may be a little something fishy going on here. Hell, man, I don't trust it either. Like, what is that? Like, you guys are just giving us like, well, we don't we'll figure it out when we get there. It's a, what the I'll hell is going on in the Big 12 offices? Can someone give me Tim Weiser on the phone? I know he'll talk. Cole, we need to reach out to Tim Weiser. Bro, what the hell is going on here? Can you guys feel this is pretty important. I I'll text cool him right to, now. Yeah, thank you. I know it's cool to have DJ Shaq Diesel out at Power and Light. I mean, I sound like an old dude right now, but it it's great to have Nelly performing at halftime of the Big 12 championship game. Figure out the blank blank tiebreakers, you idiots. Well, like we did, on. we did we did figure out WWE title belts, though, for the Big 12 championship, which is a tone-deaf PR move. On the day before, we're urging the Big 12 to issue a statement that the, and stop lying about the rule change to then say, end up a release the day after, like, hey, WWE title belts for the Big 12 champ. Like, that's their, uh, yeah, AKA. A- 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 I, I figured it was strategic and just trying to distract. Like, oh, everyone will be so excited about Roman Reigns that uh, no yeah, one could hear yeah. about the, the tiebreakers. Yeah. Like, what? The, the, the release statement by the Big 12 last night with their clarification is, AKA, we really hope Texas beats Texas Tech Friday night so we don't have to figure out what to make up in our tiebreaker scenarios. The, uh, the, the only thing I will say is, like, there wasn't a whole lot you could say on the last part though, because if, if there's like that three or four way tiebreaker, it goes to like what you do against common opponents and you don't know who those common opponents are unless until you know who's in the tiebreaker. And you also don't know who's that next rate um, person or team as well. So it does 
the the problem here is the Big Twelve is lacking leadership in their messaging, absolutely. But second, the problem is, and all these other leagues are going to have to d- deal with it too because they're going to the same model. Is when you have this many teams and no divisions, there's going to be random ass tiebreaker scenarios that determine who goes to your league title game because there's no divisions. So you just take the two best teams. Well, you have 16, 18 teams. There's going to be weird ass ties. It's going to get even murkier next year, DY, when you go from 14 this year to 16 because there's just even less teams yeah. playing each other. You're basically at least one of your teams almost every single year will advance to the title game based on a very obscure tiebreaker. I think it honestly should be this, D.Y. In the event of a two-way tie, you go head-to-head, obviously. If you end up with three or four-way ties, you go who's ranked in the higher in the college football playoff. That's what I think, because then you take away the murkiness, and to be honest, everyone's going to this structure. No divisions, just take the top two teams with the college football playoff in mind because they didn't want that team to take a bad loss because that's supposed to factor in you know that playoff ranking strength of schedule who you played who you beat that it, so you go head to head in a two-way tiebreaker that makes sense but then you get into like these three four-way five-way tiebreakers yeah. which are, could easily happen i think the most simple way is just say they're ranked second highest in the big 12 they go that's i mean that's what i said last week yeah and i think it makes sense i mean it's not even conducive to kansas state's chances in this scenario but it makes sense because the reason why there's no divisions anymore in any of these leagues is because of the college football playoff and like the resume and stuff like that because you wanted them to play another data point of playing a really good team and you wanted the, that team to avoid taking a bad loss. Like when the ACC title had 7-5 and five Pittsburgh every year or the Big Ten, you got the Big Ten West champ every year. Well, Cole, I mean, I'm dead serious. Why don't you text Tim Weiser about that? Because we know that they're good at changing rules on the fly. We could probably get that change instituted by tomorrow. I mean, if we yeah. the Big 12. Get... Benefit, it does benefit Oklahoma, but. Brett, uh, McMurphy, you could just, Brett McMurphy would be leaking that by 8.15 tomorrow morning. Yeah. It'd get Red River Part 2 for sure, but. I, I mean, good text Weiser. I don't know. Like, he might be muzzled after our our segment together uh, this summer. Like, no, don't go on with the three mall guys again, but. Um, no, I don't know. I think I just, it's a, it, I mean, just tell him the idea. Like, hey, text him and be like, hey, man, seems like it would make more sense to just do the tiebreaker based on college football playoff rankings. And then, yeah, we'd have a Brent McMurphy tweet, like, breaking. Uh, the Big 12 has decided to re-clarify their rule, and bam, there it would happen. I firstly think well, the rule logic. Up, when I brought that up as a – people got on me and said when people – when they used a BCS, that was always bullshit because so, some tiebreakers for, for BCS – well, this isn't the BCS. I call it football playoff committee. You, you can complain about it all you want, but it was much better than BCS, which I think was still two-thirds what SID poll, that's what I call the coaches poll, and AP. You take well, those away, it's still a better system. Well, the college football playoff loved K-State last year. I mean, remember how high they had them? They had them as the highest-ranked three-loss team. They were a top-ten team. I think they were number nine heading into the Big 12 championship game last year so i think you're going to get a pretty good bump this week too i expect them to bump from 21 to 19 because tennessee lost and uh number 20 lost in front of them i can't unc unc that lost right in front of them too so 19 18 right around there you beat iowa state yeah maybe you get the maybe you can get the top 15 back-to-back years in the top 15 of the playoff poll that's pretty successful and to your point earlier d white you beat iowa state and you count the Big 12 championship last year, you're 15 and four over the last two years against Big 12 opponents. You'll take you have that. a chance to, uh, to win 10 games 
back to business. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the, the deal here, I mean, for those that are screaming like, okay, John, well, what actually does have to happen for K-State to get in? If, if Texas beats Texas Tech, which but Tech plays Texas, Texas Tech's on Friday, so is uh, Oklahoma. Who's Oklahoma playing again? TCU. So is Oklahoma TCU. That game is also on Friday. So you're gonna, you, you should have a great idea what's going on by Friday. But if Texas wins, you will need Oklahoma to lose to TCU and you will need Oklahoma State to lose to BYU. That is what would have to happen. If Texas loses, then that's what opens up that whole big scenario that we were just talking about where the Big 12 doesn't even know how to explain it to you. So if Texas loses, things will get crazy and we don't even totally know what exactly it would take at that point. I think that's the best way to, to state what's going on with it right now. And, and as you said, you'll know after Friday because both Texas and Oklahoma play on, on Friday. Now, if they were, if Oklahoma were to lose, especially then that Oklahoma State game becomes very important for Kansas State's chances, obviously. And that game is also played before Kansas State. They play at 230. Hey, BYU, you're fighting for bowl eligibility. You come into, you know, you go into Stillwater all fired up and uh, don't throw the ball on first and goal from the one-yard line with a backup quarterback. Cool? Okay. Well, that's the thing. BYU at least showed some life. They rushed for 200 yards on Oklahoma, which they were averaging 90 yards per game on the ground before that. So, you know, Retzloff has played a couple of games now, a little bit of juice to him, but yeah, obviously still very green. I mean, look, it's, you got to try really hard to squint and figure out how this is going to happen. But I, I don't know, Cole is, is Houston discernibly better than BYU? I mean, Houston had Oklahoma state down by 14, uh, on, on no, Saturday. No, I don't think so. So you, you never know how the, the pressure of the moment, senior day, stuff like that getting in the way. Alan Bowman, if he gets hurt, we've seen how bad Oklahoma State's quarterbacks are behind him, which makes it more laughable that Mike Gundy didn't go with Bowman to start the year. Not that Bowman's elite by any means, but he's clearly the best option and I think everybody knew that. Um, no, I mean, weird things can happen. John, you remember remember those Black Friday Thanksgiving game, you know, Black Friday games when Colorado-Nebraska played, and there were a couple bad Colorado teams against top two Nebraska teams in the country that gave Nebraska a hell of a fight. I mean, there was the one year, Colorado was 3-8. and eight, And if they would have won, I think K-State would have went to the Big 12 championship. I, I can't remember. There were two games decided by three or less. One went to overtime, and both of them were mediocre to bad Colorado teams playing a top-five Husker team. So I just say, like, 99, I think 99, K-State came within an eyelash of going to the championship game. Colorado, like, missed a field goal or something yes. at the end of the game. Yes, uh, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, that would, will, been, that would have been three straight Big 12 championship games for A-State, if not for that. I will say, you, you, it's probably time to kind of squint a little bit at the bowl scenarios as well. No, do we and, have to? I, that just does not excite me at all. I just I don't do care. What I will say is, like, I would much rather go to San Antonio than Orlando. Orlando at that time of year is just terrible. I, I've heard horror stories about what that looks like. So that makes the Pop-Tarts Bowl, to me, a little bit less desirable. But the Alamo Bowl is just tough because they can get there. Kansas State can get to the Alamo Bowl for sure. Obviously, it requires a wherever Iowa State. But the issue may be that if Oklahoma's not in the New Year's Six, they're going to go to the Alamo Bowl. Here's the thing, Derek. The only thing that excites me at all about bowl season is that Notre Dame would be a possibility in the Pop-Tart Bowl. That's uh, who would the ever, only, to be honest, the only, I, I would, only matchup that I would get in any way excited about, really. Otherwise, and, and K-State's never been there. That's the other thing. I've been to the Alamo Bowl a hundred times. I, I don't, I just, 
Well, I'm going to diffuse your excitement for the Pop-Tarts Bowl pretty quickly then because, you know, Brett McMurphy's had his mistakes and, and has gotten annoying a little bit this year. But when it comes to bowl stuff, he's typically one of the more accurate ones. He has Kansas State in the Pop-Tarts Bowl but playing NC State. Yeah, that wouldn't be that that sexy of a matchup, but I'd agree. Who would who would ever melt down about the opportunity missing the opportunity to play Notre Dame and the Bowl in Orlando? I don't know if I've ever done that before. Uh, yeah, the Bulls are such a sham, man. It's hard to know how that selection process is going to work. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, I'll talk about it more in just one minute as I let my garage door guy in. I'll be right back, guys. Keep talking about the Bowl setup and catch me up in just one minute. I mean, as long as it's not the Liberty Bowl, like that's that's really like is, is not the Liberty a, Bowl. There is a doomsday scenario where it could come into question because if Oklahoma does go to the Alamo Bowl, um, the Pop Tarts Bowl, what if they take Oklahoma State, right? And then you go to the Texas Bowl, it says, "Well, we just had Kansas State, so we're going to take KU." Then K State goes down to Liberty. So that's obviously a nightmare scenario. Also, not a very likely scenario. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it doesn't. Even then, I say I don't like Liberty. Doesn't matter as much to me now that I'm not traveling and covering the team. Like I don't have to be there to experience 40 degree rain Memphis weather on New Year's and sit in a press box where my seat has an obstructed view of a pole. Um, <laughs> you know, go to the yeah, or or, or, or sitting in a the worst college football stadium I've ever been to. Uh, and I say that as somebody that's been to the Jack Trice press box and that has been to Lawrence, uh, you know, the booth in, in Lawrence many a time. Uh, I, I do not have to experience that even if K-State is playing there. So that's, that's the same place that had a press conference during the week, lose electricity. Yeah, we twice, twice. We had two press conferences during the week of the Liberty Bowl where the electricity went out. Uh, there was no Wi-Fi in the post-game press conference room. Like, I just, Yeah. I could go. That was, that was on Scotty Hazelton presser, I believe. Scotty Hazelton. Yeah, out. yeah. I will never. I'm like, I'll never be like. We're sitting in like a little hotel conference room, and it's just like you're doing a press conference, and then just like, shoot, <laughs> just yep. all the electricity's out. Like, but by the way, that was what that was 2019, December 2019, I believe, right? Yeah. And that was Scotty Hazelton, who's an Aladdin coordinator at Michigan State. I think he's still there. I don't know. He, he was uh, on their firing squad there for a minute. But uh, that was the first time anyone mentioned anything about Austin Moore and calling him the machine was Scotty Hazelton in that particular press conference. Oh, wow. Good memory. Good memory. Uh, Nick, by the way, our producer who says last year at the uh, at the Liberty Bowl for Kansas, no heat, no running water. I'm like, well, that that checks out. I mean, that's no electricity, no heat, no running water. <laughs> that's look the. I feel a little bit. The Liberty Bowl people are were very nice. The the guy I'm forget, I'm forgetting the guy Harold something I think greater the guy that ran the bowl at least back in 2019 when I went to I went in 15 and 19 and very nice extremely nice people that were there with the bulls I I do appreciate that but it just didn't have a lot to offer both both times it was it was like dreary and cold both times that we were there in 15 and 19 it was just like I mean I do I'm hanging out in Memphis getting rained on while it's 40 degrees it was it was not fun I do remember them getting pissed at me because I kept calling it the Liberty Bowl and wouldn't put AutoZone in front of it. And they got very crusty about that. Well, pay your respects. Pay your respects to AutoZone. What are you, a Jiffy Lube man? Get out of here. Pay your respects to AutoZone. 
I stepped in. I stepped in right as you guys are bashing the Liberty Bowl. You know, I love those sponsors. I, I, I provided the doomsday scenario where Jibs they could fall. Not very likely. They're not falling to the Liberty Bowl. So uh, <clears throat> I'll just go ahead and make that bold prediction right now. So I don't think it's that bold. I just called it very unlikely. <laughs> Possible. Uh, I think they're gonna go to the Pop Tarts Bowl. Honestly, even uh, I still think OU's got a good chance to get into the playoff picture. All they need, I they're think- gonna. They're going or, or not the not the playoff. I meant New Year's. Yeah, six. like you you mean no. New Year's six, right? Yeah. yeah, but I think Oklahoma is making New Year's six. There, there's you you don't have to really try hard to get the Sooners in the New Year's six, especially if Texas makes the playoff. Don't they have to get top twelve in the playoff bowl to be eligible? Is that right? To be eligible, or maybe I thought they made a rule that you have to be a top twelve playoff team to be eligible for at large. But, but if Texas ends up in the top four, do you know how good that win for Oklahoma looks? And they probably can jump teams just based on that. Well, they should jump Penn State. Well, I was going to say um, they could jump Penn State. Um, yeah, and Nick says top 11 technically because they do take the highest ranked group of five team. Tulane is uh, going to be the highest ranked as it looks right now. So they might get back to back. Doesn't that group of five team technically have to be ranked though? Yeah, they have to be ranked. It's the highest like, ranked group of five. Tulane's barely ranked. We'll just put yeah, it as long as they as long as they went out, they'll probably be safe. The only thing, you, you have to be top 12 and then they could the Bulls can pass up on a team in front of you. Um, so, yeah, it uh, they have the opportunity. As long as you're top 12, like somebody that's ranked 10, they could still bypass you and take that's, the team ranked 12. I, yeah, well, I think Texas is getting in the playoff in the top four some way, somehow. And if that happens, I think Oklahoma does good in year six because that really boosts their win. Well, here's where, yeah, so right now OU's 14th. They're going to move to 13th with Oregon State losing uh, against Washington. And then... Louisville is in front of them. Louisville's going to play Florida State in the ACC championship. I think Louisville's a fraud, to be honest. They should have lost yeah. to Virginia. Yeah, Jordan Travis. Yeah, I, I know, but I still think Florida State will figure out a way to win. So, you know, I don't know. The FSU Louisville's a fraud. I don't love their personnel, but the Brahms can coach the butts off. Well, they were down 24-17 at home to Virginia with five minutes left in the game, so just two weeks ago. So I, I, I watched that game because there's nothing else on it. I just I was very underwhelmed. So yeah, well, that might have been their worst game too. Yeah, I'm glad saw them at their worst. Yeah. So I mean, look. Bottom line is, I think, um, I think case it'll probably go to the Pop Tarts. Well, I'd love the Alamo DUI. I would. That would be a simple. See, I, I have a gaudy Alamo Bowl, and I don't want to go to Orlando, Florida, in Christmas time. Because I've heard, like, they literally, someone that went a couple of years ago said the, the cheapest hotel is like $1,000. Well, just hit up, hit up on three. Talk to, talk to, <laughs> talk to Shannon and figure it out. But, you know, that, okay. Well, that's the case. Imagine a flight. Jeez. I mean, it's just impossible yeah. because it's Disney World. Christmas. It's where everyone wants to be. Well, not everyone, but a lot. Well, you could stay in like Tampa. Yeah. And get a. Drive I four. I used to live there. I'm not driving I four. You know how far Tampa is. You know my geography. I thought Ontario was. I a, mean, it's not a, a city. It's definitely drivable. It's like two, three hours. But uh, it, it, it's just I four. That's why they call it the battle on I four between UCF and USF. But driving that in the winter time, like you're going to be in probably bumper to bumper traffic. When you get a chance to play NC State, man, you just name your price. It doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, you gotta, I would you know, say. Possible Alamo Bull opponent, you're looking at Arizona or Oregon State. Yeah, which Arizona would be horrendous. You're already going to play them in the non-con next year, and I don't want to play them either time because they look damn good. Like I, I want no part of Arizona. 
Oregon, Oregon State. Oregon State's fine, but that's also not very sexy. I, I don't know. I just that's why I just the bus. I would rather that than a, than a non Notre Dame ACC school. I, it probably, I guess, I, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. You're telling me NC State versus Oregon State as your bull opponent? I, no disrespect yeah. to those schools. It just it doesn't it doesn't do much for me. Uh, Cole, what is here's here's the here's the real question. Here's the real question, Cole. I, how bad does K State? How badly do the Wildcats have to beat Iowa State on Saturday to get into the top eleven uh, to to be? New Year's six eligible. Like, can we if it's you know a hundred and ten to to nothing? Is that will that impress the voters enough? Can we do that? That could that 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 might do something for you. You're you're the, the computers already love K State. It's like a top ten team. I mean, a hundred ten to nothing. That the computers might put K State number one. You know, with uh, an inflated. Uh, game like that. Well, look, I mean, John K State has beaten all their home opponents by an average margin of forty-five to thirteen or forty-five to twelve. So, you know, uh, look, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think getting to the top twelve. Is... Cole, Cole, do you have anything planned for Iowa State, like similar to last year? Um, for our oh, oh, for a segment, I was like, well, I'm going to the Holiday Distillery tailgate. Um, you know, I have to feel it, guys. I can't force it, so you know, it has to come something natural. Something like uh. Because I, I wanted to bring this up, that guy, I don't want to say his name, but you almost have to. His rant about Will Howard after the game, where he just absolutely loses his mind. That you want me to? Do you want me to rant about Will or like their like quarterback Rocco? No, yeah, I get to be about Rocco. Uh, to, to, to tell Rocco that he's going to be selling insurance. <laughs> <laughs> he's a bum. Yeah, uh, that was so out of left field, man. I didn't understand. I, I was so I, confused. The the intensity and the ferociousness in his voice—he's literally losing his mind and screaming. Yeah, that was crazy. Cole, Cole, Cole really? I, I I was about to say I don't know that I have a ton of emotion left in the tank this week for Iowa State. Like I'm just kind of like, yeah, you, you know, you you, you better get refocused because D.Y. already said on our Patreon pod, like he's like, they could lose to Iowa State because this is a letdown opportunity, all right? You don't want to lose to Iowa State. You don't want to get Matt you Campbell. How much they were enjoying it? Yeah, yeah, and you don't want to get Matt Campbell seven wins. I mean, they'll they'll build a you know a statue for that there. I, I thought you were saying they're building another bridge. Well, that's what I was thinking. A second bridge because that first bridge, you're worried about a human clog. Remember what Kate said to the the Iowa newspaper, worried about a human clog on that bridge. And so if you can build a second walkway, you'll be fixed. So no, I, I, maybe I'll do a segment urging Kansas state to build a pedestrian bridge like Iowa state or something, you know, which is actually in the plans. Here's uh here's what you do. All right. You build, you build a new bridge. It's the Matt Campbell Memorial bridge and it is, uh, six feet long by six feet wide. That's what you do. That's how you perfectly memorialize yeah. Matt Campbell. That's what yeah. you do. Yeah. Oh, well, we, we could do something with a hot seat thing, you know, although that feels like it's died down, you know. But it has because they started to win. But if you bring it up, he may lose his mind. Oh. To... <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, fig- we'll figure something out. But maybe it's just a segment like playing to Kansas State to build a pedestrian bridge because every five years or so, somebody, you know, a car has to stop on Kimball Avenue to let somebody walk across. So, you know, it's dangerous. It actually would be handy to have a bridge over there. But I think it's being planned. It's part of the foundation project. 
So you don't you don't seem you don't seem very worried about the the clones. Well, I was a little worried that you just said, "Man, I'm emotionally taxed. I don't really have anything to give to this." So, and then I got DY on Patreon. But if you need John to beat Iowa State, then we're already screwed. So yeah, you're in trouble there. Yeah, I I'll I'll get you all riled up for this one, John. So you don't want to you don't want to end the season with a loss to Iowa State. Get to nine and three, and uh, have some energy for a potential ten win season. And honestly, like. Yeah, I'd love to play Notre Dame, but at this point, it's kind of like, I don't even care who the opponent is. Just get me 10 wins. So I can say one back-to-back years of 10 games. It'll be nice. Be nice. And hey, maybe Texas Tech. Maybe Texas Tech's got a little magic in them. You know, I mean, they're bowl eligible now. Be hey. a dominating win they had over UCF this weekend. I mean, they just crushed them. So Bolton Boomer yeah. gets a kick blocked on an extra point to tie the game. Uh, yeah, I uh, look, I just talked about Black Friday magic, man. Crazy stuff happens on those Black Friday games. I could see the Red Raiders roll in there. Well, and remember, back to the Brett Yormark comments way back when, this is the conspiracy game, all right? This is when Yormark's going to get it figured out. He's going to be there in Austin, supposedly. They requested a credential for him. I saw that. So he's he's going to be there. They're going to figure out something. Something fishy will be going on. The officiating crew, the, the fix is in. Karen's going to take care of it. I think Texas Tech, Texas Tech will win. That's what's going to happen. He's just falling around Texas because wasn't he in Ames too? Uh, yeah, he was. He was. He wasn't Ames. He's falling Texas around either. So he might just be ensuring that the Longhorns get in there. Well, there was, there was the pro- no, see, D.Y., the problem is you can't trust Iowa State when you need them to do something. And Brett, Brett Yormark is new. He didn't understand that. So he went to Austin. He was trying to get that, you know, the conspiracy figured out and let Iowa State win the game. But... Matt Campbell and the Cyclones, when you when you need to count on them, they're they're gonna screw it up. So it's just a learning lesson. That's just your mark being a little bit green. He'll he's figured it out now. He'll never count on Iowa State again. It'll it'll be okay. He's green and counting on Iowa State and composing tiebreaker scenarios. That's a really you guys are really bullying Iowa State. Just feels well, lost. I just right your mark. That's what you wanted out of me. Now you're getting it. What do you what more do you want? I don't know what I want right now. Okay, I'll have to think you about that. Think about that. You think about that, and we'll we'll get it figured out for the uh, the next show. Okay, uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for uh, for all of us. Thanks to our friends at uh, Holiday Distillery. Make sure that you hit up the Holiday Distillery tailgate uh, this weekend before the Iowa State game, and uh, come hang out, come have a good time. Our friends at Homefield Apparel that Black Friday sale code Black Friday. Uh, for twenty percent off at homefieldapparel.com through the twenty sixth. So make sure that you do that um and uh if you're gonna bet use the DraftKings app people thanks to nick springer behind the scenes for Derek young and cole Manbeck. i'm john kurtz thanks for listening to another edition of three mom thank you for listening to kc sports network we appreciate your support don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard you can find all six of our channels covering the chiefs royals sporting kc and the kc current plus ku k-state or mizzou by searching kcsn wherever you listen to podcasts we're also on youtube entertain educate inform kc sports network everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.